0: We're continuing today uh, the message series called uh, "Playing with Fire." and we're looking at things that we can tend to focus on in life that pe- can become our focus and as we focus on them, uh, we really set our eyes to that like anything we focus on and the things that we focus on and set our eyes to actually lead us in a certain direction and in this series we've been kind of looking at the three things that tend to become probably the, the three main pursuits people give their lives to and It's power, sex, and money. And last week we talked about uh, money and how that can become something that we think is the end all of our life. Uh, No matter if we get enough, we feel like we need more. And there's a sense in which we we can give so much of our life to the pursuit of money. And with that, we think happiness comes. And uh, for some of us, these pursuits uh, we've experienced, we've seen others experience. And over the course of time... Uh, It's important not just to see what people focus on but also the fruit that comes and so that's what we've been looking at in this series today. We're talking about sex and as a church you think what they're talking about sex in church. My goodness. At least that's the thought I I sometimes have like we're going to talk about what the bottom line is is there's, there's no way to get away from the, the conversation that is going around in our culture. And it's always been this way. Sex is always something that is in the central of conversations, in marketing, uh, all around us. And Valentine's Day weekend, it's also especially high. People talk about it, there's movies coming out about it, and there's a sense of which there's all these different thoughts and discussions about what this thing is called sex. The good news is, as you follow the Lord Jesus, you find that in the scriptures, he actually, God himself provides guidance and instruction on areas such as these. And so as a church, we really have a responsibility to talk about things that matter, things that people are asking questions about, things that people are trying to figure out. How do you please God in areas? And this is certainly one of them. And so today we're going to be kind of looking at a story in the scripture but also looking at some things that God wants us to kind of look beyond as we look at this, this idea of sex. And so, uh, like power and like money, uh, sex is one of those things that if, if you don't take the necessary precautions to actually handle it in the way that God tells us to, you get burned. And that's why we're calling this series Playing With Fire. It, this stuff can become explosive. It can become something that uh, we think we're playing with a spark. Uh, but that spark turns into a flame. That flame turns into an explosion. And, and it can actually destroy us. And so there's a sense in which because of that and the heat that can come and the fact that it can burn the things that matter, uh, we really need to, to find out what, what does God have to say about this stuff? And there's all sorts of different kinds of people uh, as we talk about the idea of sex and romance um, And there's just movies about it and there's just all sorts of things. And we kind of have a sense of what we want in life from an early age and the kind of man or the kind of woman that we want. And in that, it just becomes this expectation and pictures of all these things that we think we want. And we have to deal with reality and where we are and and all sorts of things. And, you know, I grew up, I kind of thought myself like a hopeless romantic, you know. I wanted to kind of do what I can. And early on in my life, I was like a flirtatious guy. And I like to get the attention of gals and I thought that was kind of what you're supposed to do And as I got to college, I realized that I was actually having a track record of flirting and giving my attention to girls And I had a reputation And as I got to college, I realized like I was building a life Based on some pursuits that were not pleasing to the Lord Jesus and I claimed to live for him But yet my life really didn't Show that that was true and that was real and Despite the fact that I thought of myself a hopeless romantic, I really had no clue of how to please God when it came to this area, how to actually do the right thing as I relate to people, do the right thing as I relate in my mind, all the things that go on. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. How do we actually line up with God's plan in, in these areas? And so to do that, there's a story in the Old Testament that I think summarizes really kind of the man approach and the woman approach and all the things that kind of. Cloud our judgment when it comes to sex, when it comes to what we think we should do or or not do, and so it's the the story of Jacob and Leah, and it's found in in the book of Genesis, uh, chapter twenty-nine. And Jacob um, has his part in the story; Leah has her part. And there's another character called Rachel, who is Leah's sister. So we're going to be talking about all three of these people, and then we're going to kind of take that story and the implications, and then talk about what does that mean for us today. And that's always the purpose of Scripture is you take what the Scriptures say, what the Scriptures mean, and then you really want to think through, well, what, what does that mean for me today? Uh, scripture is not just for knowledge. It's not just for history. It actually is something to, to be applied, and we want to take principles and perspectives and apply it to life. And so that's what we're going to do. And so in the, in the story of Jacob and Leah, I just want to give you some backstory. Uh, Jacob was the twin brother of, of Esau, and Jacob lived his life really in the shadow of his brother. Uh, Esau was the dad favorite and he kind of lived in that shadow and he always seemed to want to get his dad's attention. Jacob always wanted to kind of seem good enough, powerful enough, man enough. And he kind of measured his life in the shadow of Esau. And that caused a lot of problems. And so Jacob began early on um, as a conniver. He had strategies for, for getting what he wanted. And so the story of kind of Jacob's pursuit in this area of romance and sex comes from this, this understanding of really he, he was unfulfilled in his life. Like many of us, he was looking for fulfillment, he was looking for purpose, he was looking for meaning, and he decided that he was going to find that in this woman named Rachel. And in the ancient times in biblical history, what you find is that marriage was really like a business agreement. It wasn't really romantic at all. It was, here is the bride, and here's the money that you can give to have her. Okay? The girl, you may be thinking, what? That's, but that's how it was in the time. It was, it was very business. It was an arrangement that was made. But Jacob, beyond that, he really had this sense, like, this is more than business to me. This, this is a deep need I have. I have this, this fulfillment I want. I, I'm, I've never been good enough. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this, this babe. And her name was Rachel. You won't find babe in the scripture. I just added that. But she was. And so Rachel became kind of this, this sense of how he can kind of have this, this trophy wife that kind of showed that, that Jacob was the man. Despite all the things that he felt he missed out on and all the strategies he, he had, he decided, you know, I, I love this woman. This woman is going to be the focus of my life. And I'm going to get this woman. And she will become my trophy wife. And that was really his goal. And so he set in motion a plan uh, to make that happen. And I'm going to pick up the story as he's putting this plan in motion. Again, he saw Rachel as this was his chance to finally be good enough. If he had a pretty enough, a smart enough woman by his side, he, he'd be okay. And pick up the story, chapter 29, verse 16. It says, now Laban, that's the dad of Rachel and Leah, had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. So here's a little comparison. Leah's eyes were weak. There's kind of a different interpretation of what that could mean. It could mean Leah was weak on the eyes, meaning she wasn't as attractive, or Leah had problems with her eyes, which would not make her that attractive. So either way, there's a comparison of you have Leah, who's the oldest, who's not quite the babe that Rachel is. OK, so that's important. Just keep that in the back of your mind. OK, then Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. So she got the attention of Jacob. Jacob loved Rachel and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And I just want to say, women. If any guy comes to you and says, I'm going to give seven years of my life to pursue you, to love you, to have you. Isn't there a little bit of a flutter in your heart? Seven years? Wow. I just expected seven months, right? So Jacob, he comes to her and he says, "I, I want you. I need you. I will have you. I will work for your dad for seven years. So already you see this is important to Jacob. Rachel is important to Jacob. He's building his life, his future on this woman. That's what he wanted. So his whole future, the next seven years of life, he was going to give to get her. Laban said, and this is kind of like a real like future father-in-law way. He says, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Really, what Laban's saying is, that sounds like a good idea. Let's see how it turns out. See, just non-committal, but he wanted the seven years. Okay, He wanted the seven years of work, but let, let's see how it turned out. And so Jacob, he's in love with Rachel, and so he's working hard. He's tending the flocks. He's growing his kind of future father-in-law's investments. He's doing all he can, and, and to him, that seven years, it just feels like a drop in the bucket of time because he's in love with Rachel, and seven years is, is nothing. And so Jacob... He wanted her so bad that he thought, this this is going to kind of take care of the wounds of my upbringing. This is this thing that I'm pursuing to find the deepest fulfillment that I have. I'm going to get this through Rachel. And so he's working seven years, and it's not a big deal to him. And he, he was lovesick. And I don't know if you've ever seen somebody like that or if you've ever been in that spot. But a lovesick person, they just don't think straight. They're just thinking of, I want that person. And he's just giving away his future and everything in it to just have this woman. And he's lovesick. And so Laban, the father-in-law, is in a position where he's thinking, wait a second, he really wants my younger daughter, but what about my older daughter? Nope. Nobody wants her. Nobody's coming to me to ask about Leah. And so he begins to kind of have a strategy for how to take advantage of lovesick, lovesick Jacob. And only when you read the Scriptures you find, like, man, there was some shady stuff that went on. And you think, like, what? Well, how do people do stuff like that? And then you look at, like, today's time, and you're like, oh, we're, it's the same. You ever get to that point? Like, people are so just sick and twisted. And then you read the scripture, and you're like, you know what? They've kind of always been that way. And that's what sin is. And in this area, it's the same thing. And you find accounts through history of just people that just do things that, that, that make no sense. And so Laban has a strategy. Jacob has a strategy. And they're both kind of working against it. So he works the seven years, and there's a wedding celebration, okay? And Jacob is pumped. He's worked seven years, and he's finally going to get his wife. In the wedding celebration, like lots of wedding celebrations, there's alcohol, and Jacob drank too much. So this is a note to everyone here. Don't drink, because you'll find out why next, okay? Don't drink too much. So he drank too much. He became drunk. And Laban decided that, you know what, here is my chance to give my oldest daughter to Jacob without him knowing. And so he presented the bride as Rachel, but it was really Leah. And so, as you can imagine, he, he, Jacob was drunk. He wasn't sure what was going on. He presented uh, Leah to him, like, in heavily, heavily uh, veil. Like, I don't know, like, Darth Vader maybe, like, just, like, is it a plastic helmet? Like, I don't think they had those back then. But you, you got to get a sense, like, was it just a fur of sheep, like, with two holes? <laughs> I don't know. But there's a sense in which he was totally conned. He wasn't in his right mind. He wasn't coherent. And he he got married to to Leah. And so he woke up the next day and the veil is gone and they consummated the marriage and he looks and he's like that must have been some party. Cuz I thought I went to bed with Rachel, but I woke up with Leah. And all of a sudden, you know, of course he gets upset. And he's thinking like, I've been conned. How could how could my father-in-law do this to me? And the the story continues. You you see that Laban never never said yes. Laban never said you could have Rachel. He said, stick around. We'll see. I'd rather give her to you than anybody else. But what Laban didn't say was, and I'd rather give my, da- my other daughter to you as well. And, and that's what happened. And so Jacob again was, was in love. And he thought, well, I, I have to have Rachel because I have Leah now, but that's not who I want. And so he decided he would work another seven years. So 14 years he's given up of his life to get this woman he so desperately wants. I just want to stop a second. This actually is so common. People have a vision of what they want in a person, whether it's their spouse, whether it's like a future partner, with well, just this romantic idea of how they want their life to be. And they give up years of their life chasing a fantasy. In the story, you see just this, this, this impact that choice after choice that's made for people to fill your fulfillment, how it's just it's empty. There's nothing there. And there's deception, and there's this sense of Jacob is just willing to throw it all away to get this woman he so desperately wants and so his his lovesick it just continues and so lovesick jacob although he was a conniver he he got conned somebody did to him what he had done his whole life took advantage of him that impacted his life and his future and so what you see is jacob is making these decisions seven years leads to another seven years and he finally gets the woman that he wants. And the the story continues in 29 where, you know, Laban and Jacob are talking and and they're having this dialogue about, you know, you can work off the other seven years and I'll gladly give you these and and Jacob's just frustrated, but okay, he settles. And so he, he works, he's willing to work the other seven years. Well, a week after that commitment to work the other seven years, he has Rachel and Leah. So what turned into like this pursuit of Rachel, he got Leah. Now he has Rachel and Leah. As you can imagine, that creates a lot of problems as well. Now you have this kind of love triangle, family weirdness, for lack of a better term, that they're having to navigate. And all this in really just Jacob's pursuit of the love of his life. And so Genesis 2930 says this. So Jacob went into Rachel also and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Now we, we see kind of Jacob's side of the story so far, his pursuit, his longing, this fulfillment he has. There's another really interesting side of the story, and this is from Leah's perspective. Now, as I read this story, it's really like a tragedy. And then this is real. This really happened. This happens again and again. There's Jacob who's looking for this woman to provide his fulfillment. And then there's Leah who just wants love and for someone to care for her and the man that she's married with is in love with somebody else. Now if you want to know like how we came up with soap operas they read the book of Genesis. Think about this. This is crazy. This is in biblical times. And so there's, there's Leah's Side of the story. And this also brings an interesting pursuit. So men, there's this drive. I want to get this woman. She's going to meet my needs. I'm going to have kind of her to show, like, look at me. I'm a real man. And he's doing all he can to, to kind of prove his worth, to prove that he has honor because of the woman he has. And this happens again and again through history. Now Leah represents the other side, the woman's side, which is she, her longing is to be loved and attached and cared for. And she experienced the exact opposite. She was in a marriage with somebody that, that didn't love her. And so you can imagine the struggle as he's working those seven years, the bitterness that he probably had towards Leah. it was like a knife in the heart, just every day wake, waking up like, will he give me attention? Will he spend time with me? Will he acknowledge my presence as, or is all he going to think about is Rachel? And so there's just knife in the heart. There's just terrible... that that she was facing what happened is god actually allowed leah to conceive and rachel to not so what happened is jacob and leah began to have kids and in the naming of her kids she kind of is describing kind of her her life and, and her state and verse 32, you, you see it develop more. It says, and Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Okay, I, I've, I've done this. I've given him a son. In those times, sons were important. They were carrying the name forward. They were your future. And she's thinking, you know, Jacob's already given up so much of his life and future. If I bear him a son, if I do this, he is going to love me. Now, we don't have time to go into kind of the other side of the story of these sons, but could you imagine being Reuben? Oh, wow, how'd your your mom come up with that name? Well, she had me and hoped that dad would love her. That's why I'm called Reuben. That's like a party killer, right? That's what's going on. This is like real in the family to the point that she's naming the kids based on her hope for what jacob will do so she's looking if i just do this i'll be good enough if i provide him an heir i'll be okay and it continues she actually bears more and more children Uh, son number two comes and his name is simeon check this out simeon leah said i am not loved so the lord gave me this son so you thought reuben had it bad Sorry, Simeon. You were born because dad didn't love mom. Tragic. Son number three, when Levi was born, she said, perhaps now my husband will become attached to me. Okay, the first two, it hasn't made a difference. And Jacob really didn't give her any more attention. Didn't really give her love. She was just there. It was just this this agreement that he was deceived into, that he wanted no part of. And she was empty and just longed for his attention. So she's three kids and she's finally thinking, okay, it's it's not working. I'm doing all I can in my own power to make him love me. And that's what we can tend to do as well. We think if I do or say certain things, that's going to bring about people to treat me in a certain way. This empty, comes this empty pursuit where no one can meet that need. There's not enough that Jacob could have said or done to take away the hurt that she'd experienced. But she again and again was looking at him. He's my everything. He's all I have. I'm giving him these sons, and i just, please, give me the love that I long for. So you just see these, just, these stories. They're both just tragic in the sense that they just keep, we're looking at each other Jacob wanted nothing to do with her. She wanted everything to do with him. And it just created this just fulfillment that, that no one had. This is what happens in the area of sex. You look to it as this pursuit to give you what you really want, whether it's a feeling, whether it's an attachment, whether it's a prize. And when you get it, you realize it's empty. It's not bringing about the life that I hope it would bring. But then the, the, the actual the tide shifts for Leah. She has son number four. Four sons. And his name was Judah. And then you see the shift in perspective. This time, I will praise the Lord. Now, it's easy to gloss over that statement, the naming of her sons. But if you can see the shift for years of the first three kids, the first three boys of like all that she was looking to toward was Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. And he just wasn't there. Like the air in her hands, it just, it just wasn't there. And then son number four, you know, I, I need to change, she thought. I can't spend my whole life chasing after this man that doesn't love me. I can't. Instead of hoping he's going to do for me, which only God can do, I'm going to actually look to God. This time I will praise the Lord. This time I'm not just going to pursue this attachment to this man to bring my life meaning. This time I praise the Lord. So she, she really shifted her deepest hope from her husband to, to God. She realized it wasn't going to come in the amount of children she had. It wasn't going to come in the husband she had. It was going to come from God. That was her hope. That was her meaning. And that's such a powerful perspective. Because if we don't keep our view of romance and success, uh, sex in check, we, we, just, we chase it and we think that that's, that's all we have. And If we don't maximize it and we don't get as much as we can, then, then we're going to be empty. But It's actually the opposite. God actually designed sex. It's his idea. It's not a formula that, that scientists created and it's man-made. He, he, he designed it. It's got his patent on it. And he actually gave sex and the romance that can come as two people love each other. He gave that as, as, as a gift. And I just want to spend the rest of the time, as you look at the characters of Jacob... And of Leah, you just get the sense that that really does kind of summarize the pursuit that that we all fall into. It's looking to someone else to fill a void that we have, whether it's meaning, hope, purpose, just being happy, just feeling loved. We'll have to come to that point where we realize it, this doesn't come from romance. It Doesn't come from a husband. Doesn't come from a wife. Doesn't come from a girlfriend. Doesn't come from kids. It comes from God himself. And so I want to spend the rest of the time looking at, then, then what do we do? If, if this was something that God gave, then, then what do we do? Well, you, as you dig into the scriptures, you don't just have stories like this. You, you actually do have commands of, of how to handle sex, how to handle relationships, and how to, how to do it in a way uh, that, that pleases the Lord. And so as you dig into the scriptures, you find that, that sex is a precious gift that, that God's given to us to be guarded. It's a gift that should be guarded. Uh, not taken advantage of, uh, not entered into lightly. But marriage and sex, that it's something that God has given that actually is a gift from God. And many of us today there's a sense in which it's become so convoluted and polluted because of all the different views and all the experiences, and all the pain, and all the hurt that we've experienced. But when you dig back in the scriptures and, and God's design, you see, from Him, there is hope. From Him, we actually have clarity. And so there's another scripture on the screen I wanted to share with you. Go ahead and put that on there. It's Hebrews 13:4. It says, "Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled." For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So what we have right here is this idea that sex and marriage are linked together. There really is no sex that's within God's design that's outside of a marriage between a man and a woman. This is what it means for marriage to be held in honor among all. It's not supposed to be taken advantage of or taken lightly to exist between a relationship of a husband and a wife. To be held in, in honor. Now when the scriptures talk about the marriage bed, it's not talking about like the sleep number, like what you're setting. Okay? The marriage bed is, is talking about sex. So let marriage be held in high honor above all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. There's a sense in which sex is to be enjoyed and experienced within This marriage that's held in a high regard. So it's valuable, it's important. So we run from extremes to something that we want to pursue with everything we have to something we want to avoid and we think it's just it's evil. It's sex is not evil. It's not. It's a gift from God. Within the boundaries that He has provided. Within marriage. And then the last part, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. There's a sense in which if you take it lightly and if you blow past the boundaries and you think that sex is what's going to provide the fulfillment that I have, you don't get blessing. You, you, You get judgment. The opposite comes. You get the story of Jacob and Leah. It just blows up. The spark turns into an explosion that blows up in your face. Uh, The message paraphrase has it a little bit differently. I like the way it says. It says, honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and a husband. Check out this last part. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. So sex without marriage, it does not please God. It's wrong. And that's why it has to be guarded. And so if, if you're not married and you're here today, you, you really need to make the shift. You need to ask yourself, am I willing to do this? Am I willing to guard marriage? Am I willing to wait for sex until I'm in a relationship with my husband or I'm in a relationship with my wife? And if you are married, you still have to guard marriage. And honor sex because there's always the temptation to take what a husband and wife enjoy and you enjoy it with someone else. And you see that again and again, affairs that happen, adulterous relationships, casual, illicit sex. There's no place for that. And the reason is sex has kind of turned into something that it's it's not a major thing that's kind of wired to you. People just think it's just something you do. It's just an act. It's just it's no big deal. But sex is really the pairing of two people, not just physically, but emotionally. I once saw an illustration. It's like you have a paper with some glue on it. and You have another paper and sex is like putting the pieces of paper together. And then the glue hardens and then you pull the paper and what happens? It's ripped. Within marriage, there's a sense in which the one is always one. But outside of marriage, as the relationships break up or things happen and people move and they just decide, I don't like you anymore, I don't love you anymore, I'm going to go, you see rips and tears and that. That's what we experience. That's why there's so much pain in this area. But guarding and honoring it is something that's applicable, whether you're married or whether you're not. So in closing, I just want to look at three areas that can tend to burn us sexually, because these, these are actually warnings for us. And you'll, you'll find that on the, the back page of your handout if you're following along. But these three things are really what tends to happen as we we play with fire. And these will burn us sexually. The first is uh, pornography. Pornography is really a virtual shortcut. Uh, instead of honoring sex within marriage, it becomes something that you just, you look at on a computer and it's a virtual relationship. And It's not real, but at the same time, it rocks you to the core because, again, you're playing with fire. Sex outside of marriage is always fire. You play with fire, you always get burned, whether it's immediate or whether it's years down the road. That's reality. And pornography is one of those things that's rampant. But it it goes against, it's not guarding sex and marriage. It's a shortcut, and it it causes a lot of pain. Uh, The second thing is uh, sexual immorality. This is refusing to wait for God uh, to provide a, a husband or wife, and it's pursuing sex outside of marriage. And again, like two pieces of paper, that can bring a lot of problems. And sexual immorality is just really this idea that we're just going to pursue sex with each other and there might be commitment. There might not be a commitment, but as long as we're both in agreement, it's okay. What you find is scripture uh, doesn't kind of have a category for whether you're committed or not. Unless it's marriage, it's not the marriage commitment. And it's not the marriage bed and it's not the marriage covenant. And so it's, it's, it's out of bounds. You don't see this. You don't hear this. You don't see these lines drawn because people, do, there's a sense in which well, whatever makes you happy Whatever feels good, as long as you're in love, these are all the things we tell ourselves. But it'd be like a kid giving him a box of matches and saying, well, as long as you, you want to strike that match, it's fire. Fire is fire. No matter your view, you still get burned in sexual morality, And the third is adultery. Now, all these can happen, but adultery is obviously specific to those uh, in the marriage commitment. And the way that this can wreak havoc and the explosions happen is you have this commitment to your spouse and over time, the person that you're supposed to give your love and devotion to, the person that you're supposed to honor sex with, um, you just slowly, emotionally, physically do that with somebody else. And this is as real as the other two. As you look at the stats, uh, you look at marriages, Christian and non-Christian, the amount of adultery and divorce that happen is is, outrageous. This isn't, again, because people don't know. but It just shows you there's this drive that you have to be fulfilled. And people will just do whatever they want to do to get that fulfillment it's dangerous and it costs now you may be here and we all have different backgrounds there may be some of you who you're really trying to figure out how do i please god in this area and there may be some of you who you've messed up and you have scars and you you've experienced those two pieces of paper that are ripped wherever you are this is where a relationship with jesus is so important because His grace that He offers to us, He heals us of the scars. And no matter where you have scars for what you've done, for what's been done to you, these scars become reminders as you turn to Him of the grace of God. As you look at the scars, and you, you have a choice: Do I do I see the shame? Do I see the pain? Do I see the regret? Or do we see the fact that that scar does not define me? That scar is not all I am? Instead, when you turn to the Lord Jesus and you decide that you want to obey Him and you actually do want to do what He says, those scars become reminders of the grace of God. And in closing, I just want to encourage you, you're not beyond the grace of God in this area. No matter what you've done, you're not beyond his grasp. What it takes is it's a commitment to decide that you want to align yourself with the Lord Jesus, first and foremost, that you want him to lead you. And you want to do what Leah did. You want to make a shift. This time I will praise the Lord. This time I will acknowledge you. I'm not going to look for a man. I'm not going to look for a woman to fulfill me this time. I will praise the Lord. That's what it means. Now, I've gone over Leah's side of the story. Jacob, again, was a conniver. It's interesting. Even Jacob was not beyond the grace of God, despite all the decisions he made and all the really the relationships that he broke. There's a story, continued in Genesis, where he actually wrestles with God. And it shows you the, the stubbornness of Jacob. He was going to do his own way in his own time. And you get a wrestling match with God. God said, you know what? You've done your, your way long enough. And in this wrestling match, Jacob finally decides to submit. He, he finally decides to tap out. Okay, God. Your, your way. Your way. And in the wrestling match, his hip got messed up. And it was like a reminder. It's kind of like the scar. It's a reminder. You know, he's, he's walking with a limp. You, know, you can't wrestle with God and kind of come out unscathed, right? But he's, he's got this limp from his hip socket. And even that's a reminder. While I'm limping, I'm still here. And God loved me enough to not let me get away with the strategies I've always done. And that's the grace of God. Despite our strategies and what we've always done. God gives us a chance to submit to him. Uh, as I wrap up, uh, we're going to sing and we're going to be receiving our offering, but there's, uh, there's a resource guide um, in your handout, and that just has some additional reading. If some of the things I've talked about today uh, you've not heard before or you've not really thought much about and you'd like some additional information, uh, we put some books with some descriptions on there that I encourage you to check out. You can find them on Amazon. Uh, that's probably one of the best deals you could find. Uh, But check out those. Um, We have some different books for uh, different walks of life for men and women. And so please feel free to to check that out. And then that connection card that Jeremy asked you to fill out, uh, if you could uh, continue filling that out if you've not finished. And then there's some next steps. Uh, The main next step today is if, if you've not committed your life to follow Jesus and you just realize that there's just strategies and there's some pursuits that you have and you realize, like, I'm really empty. And there's the part of you that you realize you really need to kind of deal with that and you need to turn your life over to god if if that's where you are, if you check that uh, there's a part well, for the first time I commit my life to follow Christ. if you check that uh, we're going to send you some resources and and we'd like to follow up with you if you'd like to nail down how to commit your life to follow Jesus, uh, we'd love to help you with that so if you check that we'll send you some information and, and we'll follow up with you so we're really glad you're here and I hope in the midst of all the things um, that there's hope um, as we pursue the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word, which, you know, it, it is direct and it gives us a sense of the human experience and the struggles as well as the redemption we can find. And I thank you that sex by itself uh, does not have the power to determine our life um, It cannot overcome us. You are the power. And you are the one that leads us. And so I pray, God, that despite what we've done, uh, despite the experiences we've had, as we decide to turn to you, uh, there is hope and grace. And so I pray that, that we'll trust you, that that is true, despite the feelings we have. And I pray today that we'll all decide to take this seriously and honor You above all else. In the name of Jesus, Amen.